Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick up more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports the local community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of HeyYA can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot FM and enter code BR3. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Welcome to HeyYA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from new stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a book right podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, alongside Eric Smith. We're recording in the early morning hours on Tuesday, February 27, 2019. And just in case you missed it, we were name-dropped in Forbes. And in Penguin. Penguin had that lovely little article, uh... It was like last week. Yeah, they had oh. a little thing on their website, like top oh. bookish podcast to listen to, yada, yada, yada. It was, uh, yeah, it was nice. Oh, look at us. Yeah. We're famous. So good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Not bad. I uh, spent the weekend in New Orleans, which uh, sounds fun and romantic, but is actually very tiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that if you... Uh, Fly to New Orleans uh, the weekend of one of the many Mardi Gras parades, and you're a dad in your mid thirties. Your body just turns off. Like I just, <laughs> that, was, that was just it. <laughs> I was there for Mardi Gras when I was in my like mid twenties, and it was like it it was fine, but I certainly didn't have the stamina of the folks who are doing that like day in and day out. And I don't have kids, so I can only imagine, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Did you get to read it all while you were down there? I did. I did. I'm very excited. I uh, finally got to open up a copy of uh, Emily A. Duncan's Wicked Saints. Uh, I've actually had an arc for a while, and uh, it comes out in April through Wednesday books. Um, and on, like, a publishing nerd side of things, it's always really interesting to me when an arc is, like, just as gorgeous as the finished book. I mean, like, the arc, so the early copy of it has, like, textured paper, and there's, like, blue foil on the cover. Mm. Um, so I know this means like absolutely nothing to like anyone who isn't in like the publishing side of things Mm -hmm. but like my publishing brain was like oh my god they spent so much money to promote this book this is great um so the premise is is that it's a a joan of arc-esque novel where this teen girl can speak to the gods uh and she has to join forces with her enemies to take out a king who is destroying their countryside and it's just like really dark but also really like romantic uh it's like reading like a heavy metal song that makes you swoon like i don't know if they're death metal (laughs) songs that you can slow dance to but this is this is one of them um and i feel like this is going to be one of those really big 
new YA series. Like it has blurbs from like every major author you can imagine. It clearly is getting a lot of marketing with this gorgeous arc. And uh yeah, it's really good. I'm uh yeah, I'm excited. I'm about halfway through. I really like it. I love that you are reading something new yeah. and like getting super excited about something new. Um What about before you? I, yeah. Well, before I I talk about what I've been reading, can we take a minute to scream about Moxie? Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh, what uh, great news. Yeah, for listeners who didn't see Moxie, Jennifer Machu's uh last book is we we knew it was being adapted by Amy Poehler. Like that was news for a long time, but the new news is that it's hitting Netflix, which is great. I think that um, Netflix acquiring all these YA titles is brilliant since it actually reaches teens, like actual teens will see this. Um, I have a friend who has a daughter who's 13, and her daughter is really into uh, fantasy and science fiction, but when she heard that this was hitting Netflix, she got really excited. It's like the opposite of fantasy and you know <laughs> science fiction, but she's like, oh, it sounds really interesting, and also I'll be able to watch it, you know, like I don't have to buy tickets for it, I don't have to, you know, like we as adults forget there are so many hurdles for teenagers to get to a movie theater. And, um, so it's nice that they can literally like do it from their bedrooms or like, you know, on their computers from wherever. Yeah. The day it comes out. Yeah. That's awesome. So we're recording early this week and like both early in the sense of it's Tuesday and usually we record on Fridays and also early in the sense that it's 8am in a central time zone because, um, I'm heading out to Los Angeles with the rest of the book riot folks for a retreat, which is awesome. And, um, I'm packing so many books for the flight there and back. It's like four hours each way. And also I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, uh, that's, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. I'm in the airport for each one too. So that's like five and a half solid hours of reading. Right. And that's if nothing goes wrong. Um, I was in Savannah a couple weeks ago, and my flight home got delayed. And the worst part, Eric, the worst part was that I had already read all the books I brought with me. And so I was, like, in this airport, delay after delay after delay, going, I don't have anything to read, you know? And and they don't have, like, a, a bookstore inside security. It's just, like, the Hudson booksellers. And nothing was, like, grabbing me. So the whole time I was like, next time I fly, I'm overpacking the book situation so that just in case, you know? Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather overdo it than underdo it. But, um... In terms of, like, reading, last week I read Lizzie Mason's The Art of Losing, which um, it's about a girl who discovers that her boyfriend had been cheating on her with her younger sister uh, the night that he and her sister got into a car crash that's his fault. Um, It's ultimately a story about addiction and recovery, which are two big mental health things that I care a whole lot about and don't see so much played out in uh, YA. So that was a really um, difficult read, but also a really good one. Um, Yeah, that one's on the top of my list. Um, Because, like, another, like, publishing business side of things, Lizzie used to be the um, publicity director at Bloomsbury. So, like, Mm -hmm. goodness, she she definitely knows kids' books. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, what was interesting to me, this is another, like, publishing nerd thing. It came out from Soho Press and... Soho is a mystery imprint, essentially. Um, They do a lot of, like, mystery books. That's their big thing. And there really wasn't a mystery in this one. It was 
pretty straight contemporary, which I found really fascinating. Um, and then for my flight, I'm packing Samira Ahmed's internment, um, in part because I really, really want to read it. Um, I've had it sitting on my pile for a while, but also I'm doing an event with her next month in Chicago. So I want to like really sit down with it and have some dedicated time to think of some really um, worthwhile discussion topics, you know, beyond the, where do you get your ideas sort of (laughs) conversation, which, you know. We can laugh about that. It's like, I get why people are super interested in that question, but also, like, it's not the most interesting question to answer because oftentimes the answer is, I don't know, it just shows up. (laughs) (laughs) In a dream. Yeah. I had this idea when I was walking down the street doing nothing, you know. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, yeah, so that's that's been my my reading life this week has been, like, in and out. And, uh, yeah, so I've got my my pack, my backpack is just – stuff nice awesome yeah uh let's let's hit our first sponsor and then dive into the show the meat and potatoes of the show um our first sponsor is an affair of poisons by addie thorley she's a deadly poisoner he is a bastard prince they're sworn enemies yet they form a tenuous pact to unite the commoners and former nobility against the shadow society but can a rebellion built on mistrust ever hope to succeed after Mirabelle helps to poison King Louis the Fourteenth, is that right? Fourteenth, yeah. She is forced to see the Shadow Society in a horrifying new light. Not heroes of the people, but murderers, herself included. Josie is more kitchen boy than Fille de France, but when the Shadow Society assassinates the king, he must become the prince he was never meant to be. And that is An Affair of Poisons by Addie Thorley. Sometimes when Roman numerals show up and I haven't, like, reread them mm-hmm. and written, like, what the, what the um, you know, standard writing is, I'm like, uh-oh. But, yeah, that's 14, isn't it? Yeah, King Louis the Fourteenth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm really excited for our first topic today. Um, we want to chat a little bit about uh, books we've read that no one else has read, um, mm-hmm. you know, inspired by some of the things we were talking about last week. And I love this topic because I just have – I have so many books that I scream about, particularly mm-hmm. because I think they're underrated and underread. Um, I know you and I, we like to talk about our like underrated champions like like Brian Bliss, but now he's a National Book Award longlister and probably won't return our DMs anymore. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just kidding. We love him. But um, <laughs> you know, still, read his underrated work like uh, Meet Me Here anyway. So uh, yeah, let's dig into some of our underrated favorites and uh, see if we can get some people reading them yeah um i'll start i if if anyone gets the uh, what's up in ya newsletter which you should if you don't um i've been screaming about this book all month because it's been um a really great ebook deal it probably won't be by the time this show hits since the show hits next month but uh it doesn't matter you should pick it up and it's called calling my name like by liara tamani uh it's a debut novel and um it's set in what I what I'm guessing is the '90s. This is based on um, some of the references in the book, um, and it follows a teen girl named Taja Brown from her middle school years through the end of her high school days. And it's told in vignettes, which I love. Like I love that storytelling style, and um, it's really unique and engaging with some really fantastic prose. Um, it's not a plot-driven book. It's very much a character-driven book, and it's about a girl who um, is religious, and she's coming of age. She's a black girl. She lives outside Houston, and she um, 
she's growing and this is about her growing pains and the challenges she goes through and the challenges that can exist between teens and, and their parents. And, um, you know, also how faith plays into that. It's one of those books that's totally appropriate for younger and older teen readers and would definitely appeal to readers who love Jackie Woodson's Brown Girl Dreaming. And as I was reading it, I also thought it would be a really interesting book to pair with The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're very character-driven. Um, Brown Girl Dreaming obviously being a memoir, but um, coming-of-age stories about Girls of Color. Uh, this is one that definitely fits the bill and more people should be reading. And that is Calling My Name by Liara Tamani. Oh, man. You know, I've had a book on my shelf for a while and have not hopped into it. I'm going to need to do that. Because that, that cover is so striking, too. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, the whole book package is just beautiful. Yeah. So first up on my underrated books is uh, The Fault in Our Start. No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> So a book I gushed about a little bit last episode um, is uh, Talker 25 by Joshua McCune. Um, when we were digging into books that we thought could use a revamped cover, this was definitely on the top of mine. Uh, because it's a book about dragons and fire and dystopia. But the cover just says, like, Talker 25, and it looks like it's just stamped <laughs> on a rock. It doesn't really make any sense. Um, and this book is amazing. It's a duology set in a dystopian future where the world is essentially painted black. People wear black. The houses are black because dragons in this world can't see black. Um, and the world is trying to avoid these dragons who have sprung from the earth that mankind is at war with. Um, in the novel, we meet a teen girl who can connect with dragons telepathically. Uh, and we learn that the government is abusing dragons and using them to actually hunt down other dragons. Mm. Um, it's brutal and dark and like super violent. Uh, and the world building is just so complex. Um, there are these hierarchies of dragons. Uh, there's this entire world that is utterly changed because of these uh, different these creatures um and everyone should read these two books they're so underrated and it reads like like the hunger games has been mashed together with like reign of fire which no one saw but like dra maybe dragon heart uh i don't maybe no one saw that too whatever dragon <laughs> dragon movies <laughs> um i would say how to train your dragon but this is a super violent <laughs> book and it doesn't quite uh tie into that um so, yeah, it's super underrated uh, and just really, really exciting. Uh, and there's two books, so you can just sit down and, and power read through them in a week. And that's uh, the Talker 25 series by Joshua McCune. Weirdly, I feel like this episode is about you reading really dark books and talking about dark books so far. Yay! <laughs> My next pick is, um, oh, it's an older book. It's His Own Wear, uh, where as in W-H-E-R-E. By June Jordan. Uh, many listeners might be familiar with the name June Jordan because she's a well-known uh, Caribbean-American poet. But she also wrote this little YA novel in her career. Uh, it came out in the 70s, but the feminist press published it again back in 2010 or so. And it's got this, like, striking cover. Um, it, it's a little book. It's about 100 pages long, and it packs a punch. It's told in this super poetic street language, and it's the story of Buddy finding his own where in the world. Uh, so again, it's a coming-of-age story, very character-driven. Um, Buddy is really surrounded by death, and the place that he really finds himself, his life, and his light is in a cemetery. Um he meets there this girl named Angela, whose parents think that she is way too wild, but Buddy finds himself connecting with 
her uh, because she truly understands what it means to live a hard life. And the two of them begin to fall deeper and deeper for one another. Um, It's really moving. It's powerful. And it's just gorgeous to read. Um, Again, this is told in a very Mm -hmm. poetic street language. So I wonder what it would sound Mm. like on audio. I don't know if, if an audio exists, but knowing that Jordan is a poet and um, knowing how she wrote this, I feel like if it is an audio, this is one worth looking up um, for that, for that. Um, And it would make a really interesting pairing with the first book I talked about. Um, Again, a young person of color coming of age. And this one um, set, you know, in the little bit further distant past than uh, Tamari's. But this one uh, is His Own Wear by June Jordan. Sounds excellent. I'm going to pick that up. Um, Let's see. My next one is uh, Autofocus by Lauren Gibaldi. Um, I've definitely brought this book up before, but it's an evergreen favorite. Uh, And even though it won the Florida Book Award in YA the year it came out, uh, it's still a book that a lot of readers haven't discovered, uh, at least not in the way they found her debut, uh, The Night We Said Yes. Um, In it, we meet a girl who heads off to her best friend's college uh, to try to find the story uh, of her birth mother, her origins. Um, And it's not the kind of cliche adoption story you might think. Um, It's more about her trying to figure out uh, what makes her who she is, uh, and if learning about her past is going to change how she sees her future. Um, it's one of the most real adoptee reads I've ever read, actually, and also tackles a lot of themes around friendship and what it means to grow up while growing apart from someone that you might be close to. Um, I think it's really spectacular, and I would love for more people to uh, to pick this one up. Uh, and that is uh, Autofocus by Lauren Gibaldi. I still need to pick that one up, yeah, too. Yeah, I love it. What I'm noticing, like, as I'm looking through the books that um, I've got on this list, like, they're all very character-driven books, which I feel like is why many of them are underrated, because they don't have, like, super sexy, like, plot-driven stories. Mm. You know, they're they're quieter books. Um, and this, this is another one that uh, is pretty deep backlist, but... Um, I'll give context when I explain what the book is. It's Celine by Brock Cole. And it's a book that I actually learned about through another writer, uh, Claire Zolke, whose book, An Off Year, I believe I've talked about before, but is another underrated read. Um, Celine is a book I think about a lot. And like June Jordan's, it's an older backlist title. And it's one that I think deserves a revisit. Um, it's also one of those books that the cover's awful, so I'd love to see like a new revamped cover because mm. I think it would just do really, really well. Um, so the book follows this girl named Celine, who her father has just a single guideline for her in life, and that's to, quote, show a little maturity. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a guideline that she essentially takes to mean don't get pregnant, pass your classes, and don't get caught committing any crimes. But the problem is uh, she might fail her English class if she can't finish her essay on The Catcher in the Rye. And uh, whoops, things are getting more complicated because her neighbor Jake, um, he's young. He's just been dumped off uh, for her to babysit over the weekend she has to write this essay. Um, it's it's a very classic character-driven novel uh, without a whole lot of plot. But the thing that makes this book so spectacular is the voice. Uh, Celine's voice is super cynical, uh, but not overdone. And um, it's, just, it's also really funny. Um, her relationship with Jake while she's babysitting is just very, very teen, very, very, like, this book might have been written in the 80s, so it's not set in a contemporary time, but you see, like, 
teenagers, the things they worry about, the things that they notice, the way that they talk, like it never changes. And there's just something really satisfying in, in reading a book that's older and still has these conventions that we see today because that's just what being a teenager is about. Um, and that is Celine by Brock Cole. Nice. I'm going to go back to uh, dark books again. Uh, <laughs> and this one is uh, Toxic by Lydia Kang. Um, so I know this is a newer book. It only came out a few months ago. I think it came out in, uh, in November. Um, but I haven't seen it get hyped up nearly enough. And Lydia Kang's 2017 book, The November Girl, was one of my favorite books released uh, that year. She writes these really twisted, imaginative books that just kind of flip whatever you think YA should be all about. Um, and that's what I love so terribly about her novels. Um, so in Toxic, we meet a girl who's been raised uh, in secret on a ship called Silo, which is a, uh, a bio ship. Um, so, you know, it's sci-fi. It's a ship in space. And the ship is alive. Um, it's made of organic material. Um, and it's dying. Um, there's a teen mercenary uh, who starts falling for our girl as the ship grows weaker. And they start to plan how they're going to get inside. And just... Who writes a book about a ship that's organic and alive and floating around in space? It's just so wild and exciting and different. Um, and this is from the same author who wrote a book about violence and nature personified in The November Girl. Um, so you know what? Go ahead and add both of those books uh, to your underrated gems that need you to pick up because ah, just so unique and clever and, and, and different uh, and also really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> What was the name of it again? Oh, uh, Toxic by Lydia Kang. My next one is The Island by Olivia Leves. Um, a few years ago, I was super obsessed with this book and talked about it all the time. And since it's still super underrated and underread, I might as well talk about it again. And the more that I think about this one as I was, I was writing about it um, in our notes, the more it kind of reminds me of The Lake Effect by Erin McCahan, which is obviously a stapled recommendation here of mine. Um, but anyway, The Island follows this girl named Frances who has done something, quote, very bad. And she's being sent to an island near Indonesia as part of her... Um, sentence to, you know, make up for this very bad thing she's done. Uh, so it's sort of a work camp situation where she'll gain valuable skills and lessons while not be, be, being uh, put in jail time for the crime she's committed. Except on the flight, so she's coming from uh, England mm -hmm. to this island near Indonesia, the team skills crew ends up in a terrible accident and lo and behold, Frances is the lone survivor and finds herself alone on an island. So now she has to figure out how to survive and how to get out. It's a um, realistic survival story, which, you know, we both love survival yes. stories. And uh, it's got grit and teeth and bones and edges. Like, it's a page turner without being exhilarating, if that makes sense. Um, much of the survival stuff is straight up boring. Um, just because, like, survival is boring, right? Mm -hmm. um, like, there's not a lot of plot stuff you can talk about there. But um, it makes sense that in this downtime, there's a lot of opportunity for Frances to then reflect upon the things she's done and to take stock of her life before the accident. So we start to see what she did that was very bad. Um, but it turns out... 
Fran may not be on the island by herself after all. Uh, yeah. She's a girl that um, I like to describe as uh, full of piss and vinegar because <laughs> she's been hurt again and again and she's angry and she's grieving and she's dealing with these emotions in super raw and painful ways. And her experience on this island is really a manifestation of these things um, as much as her attitude is. Uh, so this isn't really a story about romance or falling in love. Um, which is refreshing and it might be able, I, I like to describe this book as a uh, hatchet, but actually interesting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like that? A Did dig, you like that? A little dig at hatchet. I approve. Yeah. We haven't done that in like 10 episodes. We got to <laughs> you know, get back on brand here. Um, and that is the Island by Olivia Levis. Awesome. And I think my last pick is going to be uh, Burnout by Christy Helvig. Um, so this book was published around the time, um, or at least a little before, Egmont here in the U.S. closed down. I remember that, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit of a mess. Um, so I really don't think this amazing book got the love it really needed. It's a, a sci-fi novel set on Earth uh, as the sun has expanded and grown larger and larger uh, to the point that life really can't exist on the planet anymore the way that it used to. Uh, people live in shelters and domed off cities and all kinds of makeshift places to try to you know make the most of the destroyed environment and the fact that you know the earth is going to get swallowed pretty soon by the sun um we meet a girl who is uh stayed behind on the planet way too long uh because she's guarding weapons humanity the most deadly weapons humanity has ever created uh secrets left by her father um that he wants to you know his dream is that basically these weapons would 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 die with the planet um and there are some mercenaries who are ready to uh leave the planet but don't want to go until they found her and uh and claim these weapons for their own uh so a lot of the book takes place with her inside of her uh like her little underground shelter where she's trying to stay with these weapons and keep them safe while these mercenaries are trying to get inside uh so there's a sort of almost panic room esque story going on with it. And it's just so exciting. and so interesting. And, you know, another great world ending book, which, uh, seems to be the, uh, the theme of a lot of the recommendations I'm giving today. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, uh, that's burnout by Christy Helvig. And there's a sequel, um, strange skies that came out shortly afterwards. Was it, uh, was the sequel published by Eggman? I don't think so. I think it came out with someone else. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Again, publisher, <laughs> like publishing insider uh, yes. stuff there. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about one more before we uh, transition to the next topic, and that is Since You Asked by Maureen Gu. And I know Maureen Gu has been having a moment in YA, and it, it's so deserved, so deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is her first book, and it came out uh, quite a few years ago, and it's one that I don't think enough people have read. So I'm going to tell you all to go back into her backlist and read this little gem. Uh, it's a story about a girl named Holly Kim, who is just your average Korean high school girl until she accidentally ends up becoming a columnist for her school's paper. And in this column, she essentially takes down everything the school seems to care about, which is why she continues to be in print and keeps her eager. Um, it, it, it keeps her eager to continue writing. Um, So while she's got this readership at home, she's navigating what it means to live by her parents' really traditional expectations and also the much looser expectations uh, that just come with living in Southern California and having the friends that she has. Um, It's where you can see where Gu has her sense of humor and her heart, and it's one just, if you've loved her uh, latest few books, Go back and pick up this little this little guy. It's it's a great one, and that is since you asked by Maureen Goo. Yeah. 
let's hop into our next ad, then dig into our next piece. Uh, so sponsor number two is uh, Flatiron Books, publisher of Entrant and Enchantre by Dita Trillis. Uh, after her parents die, Camille must find a way to provide for her sister by transforming scraps of metal uh, into money. But soon, she begins to pursue a more dangerous mark, the court of Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette. Camille transforms herself into a baroness and is swept up into life at Versailles. Uh, she meets a handsome young inventor and begins to believe that love and liberty may both be possible, but magic has costs, and when revolution erupts, Camille must choose uh, before Paris burns. Uh, this is her young adult fantasy debut. Uh, Stephanie Garber, author of Carval, calls Enchantry deliciously addictive. Uh, it's about a young girl using magic so she and her sister can survive. She travels to the courts of Versailles and Marie Antoinette and takes place on the eve of the French Revolution, and the book is on sale now. Interesting that this was Louis the 16th, and I had Louis the 14th yeah. in my. Hmm. Hmm, lots of, lots Clever of advertising there. Things tying together. Yeah. It's also really interesting, and we should do an episode on like individual publishers at some point, because I feel like Flatiron is one of those YA publishers where like you see one of their books and you can like tell it's like a Flatiron book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which I feel like is kind of like a rare thing. Yeah. Well they I think they have um fewer editors who are acquired like this is such insider publishing talk, but um I think that they only have a couple of editors, so... Yeah, I think it's only the one editor, too, right? Isn't it like Sarah? it might be. And so, for listeners who are like, I don't know what that means, you know, an editor is the person who acquires the book, so if there's just one editor, you really begin to see what their tastes are, specifically, um, with the books that they're publishing. But in, like, a bigger publisher, it could be a little tougher, because there's so many editors who are um, acquiring, and so you get a broader broader range of, of titles although if you're nerdy and you read the acknowledgments and see who you know the editor is then you can be like oh you know i've loved all these books that so-and-so has edited and anyway nerd out we'll we'll do an episode on that yeah. sometime because it is really interesting um but that said let's talk about this topic do you want to introduce it yeah sure so for uh you know, women's history month uh we want to dig into some feminist ya reads um so as we gear up into this topic, can we talk a little quick about some publishing news from a few weeks back? Because mm-hmm. it totally ties directly into this. It's a recent book scooped up uh, by Jordan Brown over at Balzer and Bray. Um, for those listeners who don't know, you know, Balzer and Bray has published uh, The Hate You Give, um, you know, What If It's Us, uh, American Street. They just published really just fantastic, uh, wonderful uh, books and their latest sale. Um, let me read the blip here really quick. Uh, National Book Award finalist and author of the 2019 Prince Honoree Damsel, uh, Alana Arnold's uh, latest book is called uh, Red Hood, a contemporary tale of terror about a girl who, upon each full moon, finds that with her menstrual blood comes the power to hunt men who take the form of wolves. Coming out in winter of 2020. And I need this book right now. <laughs> Eric, it sounds so much like one of my favorite underrated horror films, Ooh. which is uh, Ginger Snaps. Uh, which sort of does something similar with uh, the full moon and wolves and the menstrual cycle. And ah, it's such a good, it's a Canadian horror film that is just like super underrated that more people need to watch. It's very much a YA style uh, film. But this, when I read this 
little blip, I was like, oh my goodness, she's doing something <laughs> similar to that. It's going to be awesome. Nice. Uh, I could start. Yeah. Start? Let's I'll dig start. on in. I think All uh, right. you should take the reins on this one. And <laughs> uh, before you do, I should also recommend readers scoop up Kelly's Here We Are, which is the anthology of feminist essays, comics, poems, you name it. Uh, it's pretty great. Thank you. That was nice. <laughs> uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is Watch Us Rise by Renee Watson and Ellen Hagen. And I know I've screamed about this book quite a bit, but I'm going to continue to scream about it because it's so good. Uh, it came out in February, uh, so it's available now. And it's a story about Jasmine, who is a fat black girl with a father who is dying of cancer. And then Chelsea, who is an average-sized white girl. They're best friends, and both are ready to start a revolution in their social justice-focused high school, which, despite their school being super conscious of these things, uh, still falls into a lot of the traps of sexism, racism, sizeism, ableism, and any other ism um, that they're seeking to sort of dismantle and and take apart. Uh, So the girls are forced to pick a club to be part of for the new year, and they decide that instead of taking part in in an already established club, They're going to begin their own club focused on feminism and empowering female-identifying students. But, so they they start a blog is where this club sort of gets its its feet. Um, The blog becomes a hit, and suddenly the principal isn't happy about the attention that they're getting. And um, after fighting back and causing chaos for the members of the school community who are already undervalued. The duo reconsider how they can be the best activists and change agents, and that starts with them uh, starting a writing center where both of them find so much of their voice. It's the super um, empowering, powerful, and smart intersectional feminist novel that includes this incredible poetry throughout uh, as written by the girls. Their protest poems, their poems of resistance, and their poems about what it means to be female and female identifying in America, um, super hard gut punches and wake-up calls. And uh, what I especially loved about this book was how well it deals with sizeism. So um, there are a lot of times when Chelsea, who's the average-sized white girl, will say something about... Um, fat people, or she'll say something that isn't size-inclusive, and Chelsea, who is our uh, fat black girl protagonist, will call her out, and it's just very, very smart in how that's approached. Um, I haven't seen that a whole lot in YA. Um, This is a book that if you liked Moxie, you'll want to pick up, and that is Watch Us Rise by Renee Watson and Ellen Hagen. Awesome. Uh, let's see. My first pick uh, is going to be uh, Gloria O'Brien's History of the Future by A.S. King. Um, this is probably my favorite book from A.S. King. Um, in the novel, we meet Glory, who finds herself gifted with powers uh, that allow her to see the past and futures of of people, well, and everything from ancestors to forever in the future. Uh, and she kind of sees something like straight out of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, women's rights are gone. There's civil war. Girls are being sold in the camps. It's it's a nightmare. Uh, so she makes it her mission to write down her visions to prepare those in the future and, more importantly, the people that are in the present to know what's going to happen. Um, it's a book about finding your... I don't know, I feel like it's a book that's, like, about finding your purpose, because in the book, Glory is torn and, and depressed and wrestling with the loss of her mother, um, and this sort of gives her some... Know, some urgency that she doesn't really have. Um, and it's just, I don't know, this book is really something. Kelly, did you read this one? I feel like this is a Kelly book. I had, Yeah, I have read this one, and I really enjoyed it. Yes, and that one is uh, Gloria O'Brien's History of the Future by A.S. King. My next one, 
ones. Like I'm, I'm uh, scrolling through to figure out which one I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about a book that isn't out yet, but will come out uh, shortly after this podcast, so you don't have to wait too long. And that is Shout by Lori Hall Sanderson. Uh, speaking of books I've been shouting about, <laughs> Lori Hall Sanderson, Queen of YA, has a memoir coming out uh, in like a week or so. Uh, you need to buy it. Like seriously, you need to buy it, you need to read it, and then you need to put it in the hands of every reader that you know. Um, this book has like six starred reviews already, and no question in my mind it's one that at the end of the year we're going to see show up on every list and award um recognition you can imagine and for really good reason um it's it's a memoir so this is Lori's story about being a survivor about being a woman about being an advocate who is utterly passionate about young people about intellectual freedom and about being the best people that we can be um it's really really angry but it's also really really hopeful it's really really sad and it's also really really powerful it's told in a verse which is brilliantly done and it's really real and really raw um the verse is sharp and flawless and clear uh it's exactly what it sets out to be this is a, a book that shouts it's not a book that whispers and um really it's a master class in feminism and storytelling and the power of words to draw actions that actually change the world um no question if you like speak you'll love this book and um it just it's the sort of manifesto that I feel has been missing in YA for a long time and now we have it and we have it from somebody who is just such an advocate for teens and that is Shout by Lori Hall Sanderson. Awesome. Let's see. My next pick is uh, All the Rage by Courtney Summers. Uh do I dare mention hey YA favorite Courtney Summers? I feel like some of our listeners have a bingo game set up for, for some of the people <laughs> we talk about. Um, but in this book, we meet Romy, who uh, knows for a fact that the star of the school, uh, Kellen, is far from the precious, perfect guy everyone believes him to be. Um, after she's sexually assaulted, no one believes her. Uh, and it's basically cost her everything, her friends, uh, just everything. And she ends up working – oh, goodness, where does she work? She works on, like, a diner that's, like – Yeah, she works at a diner. Yeah, it's, like, on the other side of town, far away from everybody. Um, but when a girl who's connected to both her and uh, the boy disappears, uh, she has to decide whether she's going to stand up and fight. Um, if you've read Sadie and you're just starting to discover uh, Courtney Summers, I think this is maybe the next place for you to, to go. Um, it's just dark and angry and just so, so good. Um Kelly, I feel like this was I – I feel like I'm just naming books that I know you love right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, All the Rage by Courtney Summers. I, I'm just getting such a kick out of all these dark books yeah, that you're talking I know. about. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> My next book is one that comes out as we're recording. We're recording on Tuesday the 27th. It's out today. Uh, Tuesday the 26th, whatever day it is. It's out today. So by the time you listen to this podcast, it's on shelves. You can go pick it up. And that is We Set the Dark on Fire by Taylor K. Miha. Uh, it's the first in a duology. And I have to, I, I have to say this. Uh, I was so angry because I read this knowing, not knowing it was a sequel or there was a sequel to it until about halfway through. Uh, but also it was so good that I was like, okay, I'm going to break my own reading rules for this one. Uh, so the story is set at an island and on this island there are privileged and there are those who aren't privileged. But if you play the system a little bit, you can raise above your status and become somebody who's elite. So uh, this is what happens with Danny whose parents sacrificed everything for her to attend this really elite school called the Medio School for Girls, where she's trained to become a Primera, which is one of the two wives a man of status can take. 
so men in, in this uh, world, it's obviously a fantasy world, but men take two wives. There's the Primera, and then there's the Segunda. Um, anyway, so Danny keeps this status as a lower-than-low-class girl quiet, and um, throughout her um, final year of school, when she's getting ready to graduate, be married off, um, she's sort of coming to terms with this status, and she regrets ever telling this girl that she trusted early on in her school years about where she came from, and the girl's name is Carmen. Um, so when Carmen is named the Segunda to Danny's Primera, to one of the most powerful men in the country, Danny Panics. How is she going to trust this woman that she is now married to the same husband with? Like, she's going to spend all of her time with this woman. And, uh, you know, is, is Carmen going to hold this over her head? But, but, then Danny's offered something she can't refuse just before she becomes married. And it sets her up on this course to become a spy from the inside of the grounds of her new home. And not only does it mean defying all the social mores of her now elite status, but it means she chooses between loyalties. And it means she has to decide whether uh, she's going to hurt another girl in the process to get what she needs. Uh, also... There's a queer romance in here, and it's exactly between who you think it's going to be between, and that was, like, maybe the most satisfying part of this book, is you're like, oh, man, they hate each other, they hate each other, they're going to get together, and it's going to be so great. Um, it's it's super compelling and immersive, and it's beautiful. It's super feminist. Um, it's a book that would be perfect to hand to readers who are not necessarily fantasy readers, uh, so, like, myself. Um, it's, it's more... It's got a more mythological basis feel to it, if that makes sense. Uh, it's a story of taking down power, about the dynamics of female relationships as they exist in a world that's meant to keep girls as enemies to one another. And uh, also, did I mention it's super queer? Like, I love that part about it. Um, and, yeah, it's it's the first in a duology, so you will finish it and be mad uh, if you're like me. But you'll enjoy the ride the whole way, and you'll get to the end and be like, all right, it was worth being mad about. Um, and that is We Set the Dark on Fire by Taylor K. Miha. Awesome. Um, my next pick is uh, Beauty Queens by Libba Bray. Mm. Um, so here we go again, talking about you know dark books and, and islands and, and survivalism. <laughs> um, this is the kind of book I'm so desperate to work on in like my literary agent life. I just, ugh, it has everything I, <laughs> I love and that you love, Kelly. Desert Island, <laughs> survivalism. Uh, and like the quick hook about the book is, you know, what happens when contestants of a beauty pageant crash land on an island and the survivors have to scavenge and fight for themselves. Uh, it's super fun. It's surprisingly funny. Uh, yeah, this one... That's just my quick, my quick pitch mm -hmm. for it. Uh, pick this one up. Beauty Queens by Libba Bray. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, it's funny. When I first read it, I didn't quite like it. But the further I get away from it, the more I'm like, that book was brilliant. Yes. <laughs> and I loved it. You know, it's just, it's funny. Like, that's something we should talk about sometime is like how a book shifts the further we are away from it. Yeah, no, that's true. Think about it. My next pick is uh, another nonfiction book. This one came out in the fall last year, and it's called Period Power by, Daddy, by Nadia Okamoto. Um, given there's been a lot of recent Twitter discourse on menstruation and nary a mention of this book, I want to talk about it. Um, it's necessary reading for anyone who menstruates or anybody who loves somebody who does, which means it's a book for everybody. Um, it's, it's, so Nadia, the author, is the founder of Period, which is an organization that 
aims to break down stigma about menstruation and change the conversation around menstruation. So um, this book is super gender inclusive and digs into some of the challenges that exist in uh, period havers' lives that aren't always covered. So uh, some of the big things she talks about are issues of poverty, issues of menstruation with uh, from those who are incarcerated or homeless, and more. Um, it takes a look at the history of menstrual education and discussion in American culture. And um, it's so Nadia is like 21. She's super young. She's uh, an activist. And so reading this book is very much like reading a book that uh, somebody young and energetic and just like ready to change the system has written. And that's just, it was such a, a delight and uh, to see such passion from such a young person. Like, it's the kind of book I want to hand to all young people who I know are just like fired up to change the world. Um, it's got incredible notes and resources in the back of the book. And um, it's one that, even if you don't read cover to cover, is one that is worth referencing and um, worth bringing into any discussion about feminism and about gender and sexuality and um, health care and health care access. Um, I have one criticism of the book, and I want to bring it up because it's it's important to me. But um, at the very beginning, she um, Nadia talks about some of the uh, menstrual and uterine-related challenges that those with uh, internal reproductive organs might experience, but she never mentions it. Mentions polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, PCOS, as it's shorthanded. Um, and PCOS impacts as many people as endometriosis does, which is like one in ten, maybe two in ten at this point. Um, but weirdly, she never mentions it, and that was a huge disappointment to me and missed opportunity because I myself have uh, PCOS and find that. Finding any information about it outside of, like, uh, Facebook groups, essentially, or uh, online forums is really difficult. So um, knowing how many young people struggle with it, I was hoping to see it in here. But uh, I, I only bring it up because it's, like, it's one of those things I want to see more of mm -hmm. in YA and discussed more. Um, so it was one of those, like, ah, that's one thing she missed, you know? And... and um, Besides that, it's such a powerful and important book. So go in knowing that some stuff might not be there, but all the other stuff uh, taken together makes it more than a worthwhile book. Um, and that is Period Power by Nadia Okamoto. Nice. And my last quick pick will be uh, The Duff by Cody Keplinger. It's a super sex-positive YA novel about um, body positivity, friendship, and sticking by your girls. Um, and I just adore this book. Um, I highly recommend checking this one out and maybe watching the movie, which, while it is very different from the novel, is still uh, so much fun. Um, is this one Cody's first book? I feel like it is. Yeah, and she wrote it when she was like... 17 oh or goodness. 19 or something yeah uh, to, and it, to, to be that young and talented right away like i know i love this novel it's so fun and just uh so voicey <laughs> yeah oh it's so good i love this one and that one and I, oh yeah go ahead no go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna say that's the duff by cody keplinger what were you gonna say yeah i was just gonna say i was just gonna say i really like this one <laughs> <laughs> she has another one that's really great too um I mean, obviously, she's written a number of books. But the other one that sticks out to me is A Midsummer's Nightmare, uh, which was also a really great feminist book um, about what happens when you get in a relationship that maybe you shouldn't be in, and then you start to deconstruct why it is you shouldn't be in that relationship. Um, 
just a smart one that I, I liked especially because it's uh, about a girl whose parents are divorced and sort of being in that space of dealing with two very different home lives, um, which I, I'm a child of divorced parents and that whole situation growing up was one that I never saw depicted a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Cody's book really like nailed it for me. Um, so my, my last pick is another nonfiction book and that is, uh, Votes for Women by Winifred Conkling. It's a compelling and engaging and I think fairly balanced look at the women's suffrage movement, which doesn't shy away from talking about the racist attitudes of some of the movement's most well-known and you might say historically beloved leaders. Um, it's got really great images and back matter, and it's a book for readers who are looking for a solid history of the American push for the right for women to vote. Um, I've read tons of books on this topic for young readers, and I feel like this is the first one that didn't shy away from getting into the ugly stuff, the really racist, terrible stuff. Um, in terms of like the book's writing, I loved how it was framed. His book ended with a decision in Tennessee, which was the decision for the ratification of women's suffrage and how it came down to a single vote uh, by a man and how his mother influenced him. Uh, there's a little bit, like there's not a whole lot of page time given to it, but um, more time is spent showcasing what it is that the women did to help get that man to that point. Um, So it really focuses on the women rather than centering the man who made the vote, which I think happens a little bit too often. Um, Anyway, hand it to readers who love nonfiction, to young feminists, and to readers who want a nice starter history of the women's movement. Um, And that is Votes for Women by Winifred Conkling. Nice. There's some good recommendations this this show. Lots of yeah, some some dark books, um, uplifting <laughs> books. That's great. I, I feel like we we changed roles here. Yeah. Like you were you were like I'm going to talk about all the dark stuff, and I'm like I'm going to talk about the uplifting, feel good stuff. <laughs> and also, both of us talked about you know crashing on an island and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which on brand on brand. Yes. Uh, so. That said, thanks, y'all, for tuning in this week. If you have any feedback about the show, you can leave it on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you let us know how we're doing, and you help other people find us. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible and for helping us learn that Louis XIV and Louis XVI, really interesting characters in history. <laughs> you can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Twitter and Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars, and you can follow Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks, and we will talk to you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.